Mark chapter 3, verses 31 through 35. And his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. And a crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside, seeking you. And he answered them, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my mother and sister and brother. May God bless the reading of his word. Please be seated. Good evening. My name is Jason, staff pastor here at Grace Downtown. Thanks for worshiping with us tonight. Um, At this time, the kids are dismissed. You can find your classes in the back. Elementary school, you can see your blue sign back there. Preschool, you can see your orange sign back there. Go ahead and meet your teachers in the back. And the kids will join us for the baptism at the end, but they're going to go down and hear more about the gospel and spend some time worshiping and playing and snacking together. Um, No snacks for you all. You just had your snack, so sorry. Um, But they get a snack. They get more snacks. Um, Tonight we're continuing in our series through the book of Mark. We're going to cover what Pastor Jeff just read for us and more. Uh, But before we get into that, I want to give you some particular ways that you can get involved here at Grace. You'll see up on the screen, uh, if you scan this QR code, you're going to have four different options to connect or to sign up to serve, or to share a prayer request, or to give financially to the church. But I want to draw your attention to one of these in particular tonight, and that's the expressing interest in serving tonight. So you can click on this QR code, and you can sign up to help out here at Grace. The idea is that everybody does a service role once a month, and if everyone does once a month in a service role, we'll have a lot of what we need done covered. So you'll see right now, these are where our needs are at. Uh, Over the summer, we recruit new volunteers. Everyone signs up for new volunteer roles. And then this time of year, we kind of reevaluate where we're at. And this is where we're short right now. So you can click on this link. You can sign up uh, to help out with one of these. And then uh, Bo or myself or a volunteer will contact you and walk you through the steps of what it takes to volunteer. We do a scheduling system where we send you requests. And if it's a week that doesn't work for you, you can hit decline and we'll hit you up a different week. So it's really compatible with your schedule. So would encourage you to do that if you are not already serving. Um, As I said, we're going to have the kids come back up for baptisms at the end. We're going to head right out on the porch as soon as the service is over. And uh, we're going to hear Wyatt's testimony of what God has done in his life. Tonight, communion has been our reminder of where our redemption comes from. And as Bo said, we've designed the whole liturgy tonight uh, a little bit differently in one aspect uh, that we did communion already, uh, but it's really what the scripture calls for. Because tonight what we're going to read and also what we're going to hear from Wyatt in his testimony is the application of the gospel. We've heard about the gospel, we've sang the gospel, we've been reminded by scripture and communion and Pastor Jeff what the gospel is. And tonight we're going to look at a scripture where Jesus really calls people to decide whether they're going to follow him or not. The things that Jesus did and the things that he said required a response. Jesus' life, his words, his ministry, his death, his resurrection, they require a response. Not just for the people that lived in his day, but for us today. 
Would you pray with me as we open the scriptures together? Heavenly Father, thank you for this opportunity to hear from you tonight. Uh, We look forward to what you would have to say to us. God, we pray that you would continue to speak. Thank you for the reminder of the good news of the gospel. Thank you for tangible bread and juice to remember what you've done for us. Thank you for the picture of baptism where we see that we were once dead in our trespasses and sin, but we've been made alive with Christ. Spirit, we pray that this time would be set aside to hear from your word, that we would be transformed, conformed into your people, conformed into your likeness, Jesus, and that we would be your sent and called out ones because of your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So open with me to Mark chapter 3, if you are not there already. We're going to cover a big chunk of scripture, so I'm going to go kind of quickly uh, through and summarize some of it, and then we're going to get to our application for tonight. So Mark chapter 3, I'll start in verse 7 and read through verse 12 to get us started here. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the sea, and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea. And from beyond the Jordan and from around Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, they came to him. And he told his disciples to have a boat ready for him because of the crowd, lest they crush him. For he had healed many, so that all who had diseases pressed around him to touch him. And whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. And he strictly ordered them not to make him known. So we have people flocking to Jesus. News about Jesus is getting out. The word is spreading that he's healing people, that he's delivering people from demons and unclean spirits. Uh, His teaching is spreading and more and more people are coming to Jesus to the point where he has to go out on a boat to get away from the crowds that are surrounding him. We also see here that unclean spirits are coming out of people, and they are basically cowering before Jesus. When they fell down before him, they cried out, you're the son of God. They recognized that he had authority. They recognized who he was, and they were coming out of people. Another thing to notice here is that these unclean spirits are causing some physical ailments. In this story, they are tied together. These people are coming with physical ailments, and unclean spirits are leaping out of them and cowering to Jesus and saying that he's the son of God. A few clarifiers here before we move on. Physical suffering and unclean spirits and demonic behavior is not always tied together. Sometimes, clearly, it is. In the first century, this was not only the predominant belief, but this was often happening. And there's a lot of theories of why that takes place, uh, why it took place so much in the first century, why it was so prevalent in the ministry of Jesus and his disciples. We're not going to take time to get into all those theories, but the predominant belief was that if you had a physical ailment, there was some kind of spiritual darkness or spiritual reason behind your physical ailment. And when we see the life of Jesus, when we see the things he taught his disciples, when we see the things his disciples and the early church did, it seems like that was the case at least in the stories we read here. We'll return to that idea in a little bit. Verse 13. He went up on the mountain and called to him those whom he desired, and they came to him. 
Now let's stop right there. He called out those that he desired and they came to him. He's calling disciples. And just like Matthew last week, they're dropping everything and they're following him. This is not always the case. We don't always get what we want, correct? We don't always get what we desire. Religious leaders or thought leaders or uh, people in pop culture or you or me or parents or kids, you don't always get what you want. But here we read that if Jesus desired someone and called them, they would follow. What an amazing thing. Again, showing the authority of Jesus. Verse 14, and he appointed 12 whom he also named apostles so that they might be with him and he may send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. There's a lot going on in those two verses. So we're going to just park right here for a little bit. So first we're going to look at what does a disciple do and then we're going to look at how they do it. Because Jesus lays this out for the disciples. So he's calling these men to himself. They're following him. He desires them to follow. They follow him. And then he has something for them to do. The first thing that we notice that they do is they're sent out. They're called apostles. That's what that word means. They're sent out. They follow Jesus, which is the next thing that they do. But first, we have to recognize that they were sent out to do something. This is unusual. Because most of the time, uh, someone would choose a rabbi for themselves and they would just follow them around and learn from them. And eventually they would be sent out. But these guys are spending time with Jesus and then he is sending them out. As we read through Mark, we're going to see more and more he's sending them out to do the work that he has called them to do. And then clearly they kept doing work because they wrote the New Testament. They continue to plant and build churches. They continue to do the things he has called them to do as apostles. They are obeying his commandments. They're going and making disciples. They're doing the things that he has called them to do. So first, they're sent out. Second, they follow him. A disciple follows Jesus. This seems so rudimentary, but it's so important to remember that a disciple follows Jesus. Many say they follow Jesus, but they do not really follow Jesus. Remember, some of these people are just fans of the show. They just want to see Jesus do something crazy. They just want to see some guys dig a hole in a ceiling and lower their friend through. They just want to see Jesus take a little bit of food and turn it into a lot of food. A lot of these people are just fans. They're there for a show. They're there for a spectacle. They're there to trick Jesus. They're there to get Jesus in trouble. A disciple follows Jesus. In scripture, we read this phrase, follow me, or they followed him. And it always is something physical. It's a physical verb that they are doing or being asked to do. In our culture, sometimes we use the term follow in a couple of different ways. We can say, I follow the teachings of, let's say, Buddhism, or I I follow New Age teachings. If we say we follow something, it means I ascribe to this way of thinking, and I think that way too, and I read a lot of books about it, and I kind of change some things about my life to be in line with those teachings, maybe. 
That's one way that we use follow. The other way that we use follow is in a social media sense. Oh, I follow someone so I can see the junk that they put on their social media feed. This is physically following a rabbi and teacher and doing what he tells you to do. So a disciple follows Jesus and is sent out to do the things that he tells them to do. So what does he tell them to do? Three things. First, be with him. Second, preach. Third, cast out demons. So that they might be with him, he may send them out to preach, and they may have the authority to cast out demons. First, be with him. In the Old Testament, and until Jesus came in the flesh, fully man, fully God, knowing God meant following the law, doing something religious, doing something ceremonial, doing something festive, doing something external to purify yourself and to have communion with God. Now, knowing God means being with Jesus. Remember, he says, I'm now, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. You think you're following the Sabbath because you want to follow the law, but now I am Lord of the Sabbath, and it means being with me. And my disciples, they don't need to fast because they're with me all the time. Now, knowing God and communion with our creator God means being with Jesus. And Jesus, fully man, but also fully God, calls these men men to be with him, to spend time with him to get to know him, to get to know the teachings, get to know what it looks like for the spirit to lead you in every area of your life. So the first thing they're called to do is be with Jesus. The second is preaching, preaching. Couldn't remember if I made a slide for this or not. Preaching. There's other examples of this word preaching in the book of Mark. A little quick study in biblical hermeneutics. Whenever you read something in scripture, it's first best to see how that word is used in the same book of the Bible. So this word preach, there's a lot of things we think when we hear the word preach, but this Greek word that's being used in Mark chapter 3, it appears other places in Mark, and it's instructive to us to know what does this word mean, preach? Does it mean pastor with the pulpit? Does it mean uh, teaching to a big group of people? Does it mean teaching in the marketplace? Let's look. John the Baptist is said to preach in Mark chapter 1, verses 4 and 7. A healed leper goes and preaches the good news that he has been healed in Mark 1, 45. There's a demoniac coming up in a couple of weeks. That should be a good time. And as he is delivered, he goes and he preaches that the demons have been delivered from him. A healed deaf and mute man proclaims the good news. He preaches the good news that he has been healed. The 12 are sent out to preach again in Mark chapter 6. And then the early church in chapters 13 and 14 of Mark are told to go and preach. This is clearly not just a guy standing at a pulpit preaching. This word preach, they're going to be instructed to preach as they build churches and things like that. And maybe that looks a little bit more like what I'm doing right now. But here... As they're being with Jesus, they're being told to go proclaim the good news of who he is and what he is doing. They're going to proclaim the good news that the kingdom has come. So they're being asked to preach. Third, they're casting out demons. They're casting out demons. Uh, 
they are given the authority to go and to cast out demons and deliver people and show that the kingdom of God has come and is fully coming and deliver people from their ailments, deliver people from their darkness, deliver people from unclean spirits. He has that authority because he's God. Clearly he has that authority because unclean spirits are jumping out of people and saying, you're the son of God. He then takes that authority, gives it to the disciples and says, you have the ability now, the authority now, because I've given it to you to go and heal unclean spirits. We'll return to that concept in just a moment. So this is what a disciple does. A disciple is sent out. They follow Jesus. And then how do they do it? By being with him, by preaching, casting out demons. Let's continue on in verse 16. He appointed the 12, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, the brother of James, to whom he gave the name Boneris, that is, sons of thunder, Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Fun little editorial note there. Judas Iscariot. Oh yeah, that's the guy that betrayed him. So a question arises here, why 12? Why 12 disciples? Is it arbitrary? Is it the only 12 guys that were qualified? Was it the only 12 guys that were standing around? It seems to be an important number because of a couple of things. They're told that they're going to be given these thrones and they're going to rule these 12 disciples. And when Judas, after the death and resurrection of Jesus, after Judas takes his own life, they immediately seek the Spirit to appoint another disciple. So this number 12 seems to be important. Maybe you already wrestled with this in your individual study of Mark or talked about it in your group. I want to share what our group came up with because I think it's really insightful. Um, As we were talking about this in our Bible study in our group um, on Monday night, um, it came up that this 12 could be the replacement of the Israeli tribes. So the tribes of Israel were 12. Jesus here is saying, I'm doing a new thing. I'm doing a new thing with these 12 men and they're going to be representative of my people just like those 12 tribes were. And through that, I'm going to do a new thing through them. It was also pointed out in our group that it's interesting in Mark, there's no genealogy. It doesn't walk through, here's how we got there. It just says, here's these 12 guys. It's interesting how Mark is painting the picture for us. Let's go on. Verse 20. Then he went home and the crowd gathered again so that they could not even eat. Again, a big crowd, so they can't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him. For they were saying he is out of his mind. Jesus is eating with his disciples. And his family is concerned for his physical needs. He's not even eating. He can't even get enough to eat because there's so many people around. And it says they try to seize him. This is a physical word. They're trying to take him and walk him out of there and attend to his physical needs. And they end up surmising he has left his mind. He's out of his mind. Why why is he doing this? Clearly they are struggling to believe he is who he says he is. Continue on in verse 22. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He's possessed by Beelzebul. And the prince of demons, by the prince of demons, he casts out demons. 
Again, news of Jesus is spreading. News that these unclean spirits are leaping out of people is spreading. Verse 23, and he called them to him and said to them in parables, how can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but is coming to an end. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. First note here is this is the first instance of Jesus using a parable. All next week and all next chapter is about Jesus and why he used parables. So we're going to cover that. Jesus in this parable lays out some truths for us. First, there is spiritual evil in the world. That spiritual evil is powerful. That spiritual evil needs to be bound up. But Jesus here is claiming to be the stronger man who is now coming to plunder the darkness. So he's saying Satan and these demonic presences, these unclean spirits that are inhabiting people that are giving physical ailments and are tormenting people, they're strong. And something has to be done. But I'm the strong man that's going to come in in the middle of the night and I'm going to plunder what the enemy is trying to do. That's what Jesus is laying out for us in these parables. In chapter 5 of Mark, we're going to read that the demons start begging Jesus not to destroy them. They not only are identifying who he is, they start begging him to not destroy them. Jesus is indeed plundering the darkness. Verse 28, Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven by the children of man and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. And they were saying, he has an unclean spirit. Now others are saying he's losing his mind. Here he starts with truly, this means amen, let it be, let it stand, this is God's will. There are all kinds of sin And all manner of sin can be forgiven. Before we get into all the very confusing business of this unpardonable sin, let's see that Jesus says all sin can be forgiven. What amazing grace. Sometimes we think we have committed the unpardonable sin, and Jesus here says all sin can be forgiven. What an amazing grace. What unbelievably good news. And then this unpardonable sin. What is blaspheming the Holy Spirit? Let's look at this passage. Let's look in context and see what Jesus is saying here. These people are saying that Jesus is doing the things that he is doing by a demonic power instead of the spirit of the living God. Blaspheming the Holy Spirit is saying Jesus is not who he said he did. Instead, he did his magic or whatever it is he's doing by some other power. It is failing to recognize the identity of Jesus. The reason that that's the unpardonable sin is because no Jesus, no pardon. All sins can be forgiven, but we need Jesus, the righteous one, to die in our place. Plain and simple, that's what it means that it is an unpardonable sin to say he's not who he says he is. 
Finally, in verse 31, and his mother and brothers came and standing outside, they sent him and called and a crowd was sitting around him. And they said to him, your mother and your brothers are outside seeking you. And he answered them, who are my mother and my brothers? And looking about at those who sat around him, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. Few things here. Clearly, as we continue on in scripture, The importance of family to Jesus is clear. From the cross, he says to his mother and to the apostle John, John, now this is your mother, and mother, now John is your son. He was asking John to take care of her as if it was his own mother. Jesus cares about his family. It seems that even his family did not believe at this point he was who he said he was. So he's saying here that his family are those that believe his identity and are following his ways and are spending time listening to him. He tells them, my true family are those that do the will of the Father. Again, he's saying a disciple is someone who follows me, who spends time with me and obeys me. That is thicker and stronger than even blood. So, tonight, we're going to try to answer the question, what is a disciple? Oh my goodness, I'm so far behind. Who is a disciple? Who is a disciple? First, a disciple is a follower and not a fan. Many were fans of Jesus or at least wanted to see a show. He's calling people to follow him. You do not default follow Jesus. We don't wake up in the morning just ready to go to follow Jesus. My children are default Jayhawk fans. That's just the family they're born into. They're born into my family. I'm a Jayhawks fan. Some of the first board books they get are Jayhawks. We have Jayhawk blankets. We watch Jayhawks basketball. That is what they are born into. At some point in their life, they have to choose for themselves. This is a number of years ago, right after we first moved here, but the brackets were set up in the NCAA basketball tournament that all Kansas and Iowa had to do was both win their first game, and then they were going to play each other, and the Blackley household was going to have a problem. This was going to be a tough situation where we would have to choose. They both lost and blew it, so they did not play. Uh, Moral of the story. But the kids born into my family by default are Jayhawks. But then we choose to follow Iowa football because Kansas barely has a football team. So, but you have, they have to make a choice if they're going to follow another school. Following Jesus is a choice. And it's a choice to follow and obey and be with him and do the things that he calls us to do. At one point in time, and maybe in some places in America, it is still easy to follow Jesus or at least go to church because that's what everyone else does. It's expected. Everybody sits together with family at church. You go out for lunch after church, and it's the cultural thing that you do on Sunday mornings. In Iowa City, that is not the case. And in many parts of America, that is not the case. It's going to 
continue to becoming, to be difficult to follow Jesus. It's not going to be the popular choice. It's already that way for my kids that go to school in Iowa City. They don't say, I'm going to follow Jesus, and everyone applauds. They're choosing to swim against the stream and be a minority from the get-go by just saying, I'm going to follow Jesus. Jesus is calling followers, not just fans. Next, a disciple is someone who preaches and teaches. Mark chapter 1, verse 15. Jesus says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. This is what we preach and teach. This is the good news. The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent, turn away from that bad news towards Jesus, the good news. Follow him. This is the good news. Isaiah 40 verse 9 says, Go on up high to a high mountain, O Zion, you herald of good news. Lift up your voice with strength, O Jerusalem, herald of good news. Lift it up, fear not. Say to the cities of Judah, behold our God. This is the good news. Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the very end of the earth. Preach and teach the good news. It is not the role of some. It is the gift of all. The good news is a gift that we are told to share. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you took communion tonight, the reason that you are not sitting with him in heaven is because he has good news for you to proclaim to other people. That's why you're here. That's why we exist. It's to proclaim the good news to other people. Will there be some that have an office in the church that preaching is part of that? Will there be some that have a particular gift of teaching? Of course, we're all given the good news. The verses that I just read to you from the Gospels, from the Old Testament, from the New Testament, from the early church, those are everyday people like you and me that are proclaiming the good news. Disciples proclaim the good news. How do we do it? Of course, through formal Bible teaching, teaching people the Bible. It's at the heart of discipleship, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. But we also do it through sharing our testimony. We do it through sharing our testimony of what God has done. When Judah in the book of Isaiah says, behold our God, that's sharing our testimony. Behold what God has done for me. We're going to hear Wyatt do that tonight as he's baptized. And it's showing what the kingdom of God looks like. And it's showing that it has come and it is coming by being restorers. By being restorers in how we live lives of justice, how we pray for healing, how we pursue the goodness of all people. We pursue loving people who are made in the image of God. This is how we preach and teach the good news. They are handed authority over the spiritual world. This is where things are going to get weird. The disciples are handed this authority to cast out demons in the name of Jesus. 
we are given that authority by Jesus over the spiritual world. We can pray that people are delivered from evil, from darkness, from demonic activity. It's not something that depends on our awesomeness. It's not something where we have to rely on saying exactly the right words for it to come true. It comes because Jesus is going to do these things through us. So the question that hopefully you are wondering about right now is why don't we see this more often? Why don't we see this take place more often? Maybe some of you are thinking, I'm glad I've never seen that. But why don't we see this more often? A few things. First, we're really afraid to talk like this and to think like this. And so we miss some of the plain teachings of scripture because we don't want to go down that slippery slope to where there's a demon behind every tree and saying weird phrases to try to cast things out. So we're afraid of this. So we just kind of, mm, let's move on. Let's get on to the parables. Let's get on to Romans. We skip over the plain teaching of scripture. Also here in our Western modern globalized world, Tim Keller describes it as the demon being too deep. These demons were shooting out of people, out of these people that were ailing, and they were saying, truly you are the son of God. Tim Keller's theory is that the demon in our culture is so deep, demonic activity and demonic thinking like materialism and affluence and comfort, these demons are so deep within that we don't see this demonic activity on the surface. Also, we probably don't come in contact with enough people that are struggling spiritually in this way. There are people walking around Iowa City in the Iowa City area now that are plagued by demonic darkness. There are students at the University of Iowa. There are people that live in Iowa City that are plagued with a spiritual darkness and there is demonic activity actively at work inside of them. One reason we're seeing this so much in scripture is the first century context where we find this taking place. Uh, It is the time where Jesus is coming and the church is formed. You think Satan was active and trying to get at everything Jesus was trying to do, for sure, that's one of the reasons we see more of it. But it still happens today. It happens literally every day in Haiti, where the national belief system is voodoo. And for someone to come to Christ, they almost first have to be delivered from the demons so that they can be saved. Elders in this church have participated in demons being cast out of people as they were in Haiti. Elders in this church have sat with people and prayed and seen them delivered from demonic activity. I'm so glad Brooks is not here tonight so, because he would probably take this wrong and kill me afterwards. But one thing I love about Brooks is that he did not grow up in the church, so he doesn't have some of these negative connotations for things. So he, he's not afraid of all of this stuff. And Not that long ago, a matter of just a few years ago, someone came up to him in the lobby at church. He was trying to head into the sanctuary to preach at our church in North Liberty. And the person was like, I've been to psychiatrists. I've been to counselors. I've had people pray for me. I am possessed by a demon. 
He just flat out said it. He said, I've been diagnosed with schizophrenia, done all these things, but he's like, I know it's a demon. Brooke said, well, let's pray. Put his hand around him, prayed for him, instantly healed. The guy said he thought clearly for the first time in his life. Let's make sure we understand that part of Jesus' parable that two a kingdom divided against itself can't stand. If you're a believer and God's spirit lives inside of you, the demons have no place in you. And we have the authority to pray in Jesus' name and demons will have nothing to do with us. But if those who are not in Christ, whose spirit is not living inside of them, there's all kinds of demonic possibilities going on in people's lives. And we are told we have the authority to pray and ask God to deliver them from evil. Deliver them from evil. Jesus wants us to actively be loving and living in this world in a way where we are in the front lines of seeing the darkness plundered. Sometimes it's going to be easy because you're sharing a drink with your neighbor on the back porch. And sometimes it's going to be praying a demon out of a schizophrenic homeless man. But we're called to plunder the darkness. Lastly, what is a disciple? My PowerPoint is just jacked up. You're just going to have to take my word for it. The last one is a disciple is one who does the Father's will. That's what Jesus says. My mother and my brothers and my sisters, they're the ones who do my will. Part of the problem with Christianity and part of the problem with followers of Jesus is they say they follow Jesus, but they don't do his will. It's more about how they vote or where they go to church or what they do on Sunday mornings than what they actually do. Jesus is calling men and women and children to follow him and do his will. We get so in our head and we get, make things so complicated and we want to make sure we have the right theology and make sure we're going to the right church and make sure our church is doing the right thing here and make sure that we're voting this way about this and we lose sight of the fact that being a disciple is Jesus saying go and we say I'm going. And we're going to see in a few weeks Jesus says you don't even need to take anything with you on this journey. I'm going to provide every single thing that you need. You know those moments where you're just freaking out because everything seems so complex and confusing? We need to return to the basics of Jesus saying, follow me. Jesus saying, do this. Talk to that person. Pray for this person. Share your faith with this person. Trust me here. Trust me here. And we just say, I'm going to follow you, Jesus. If there really is spiritual darkness and spiritual evil in this world, then my anemic prayers and my little bit of faith and my giving myself over to the entertainment of this world is not going to get it done. But when we follow Jesus, when we do his will, when we pray in his authority, when we follow in his ways, when we do what he says, the darkness is plundered. And he says, truly, you are my disciples. Tonight, Jesus is calling us to follow him. And when Jesus speaks and when Jesus acts, it requires a response from us. 
How will you respond to his call to obey and follow him and walk in the good news tonight? I'd like to leave you with that question. As Wyatt comes up, he's going to share with us how Jesus has called him and how he has decided to follow, to continue to follow Jesus. So he's going to share his testimony with us, and then I'll give us some instructions for what to do next. Greetings, my name is Wyatt, and um, I was called to follow Christ in the summer of 2017 while on a road trip to California. Prior to my uh, call, my primary focus in life had been accumulating as much pleasure as I possibly could through whatever means I had available. Um, As a result, I was a disloyal and uncaring friend, an ungrateful son, and an unworthy partner. Yet by God's grace, he directed me to notice that it was my few Christian friends um, who seemed to be uh, most happy with their lives, often despite turning away from the things that I considered essential to sincere happiness. And so as I began to attend college, first at a community college in San Diego and later at, a, at the university uh, here, um, I began, began to explore Christianity. Um, I... I that process was long and complicated, and I made a number of um, questionable decisions, but eventually I made my way to a, uh, a good Bible-believing church with a strong college ministry where the gospel was communicated to me. However, it wasn't until after I graduated when I was driving home from Iowa that God really brought it all together. In what felt like a single moment, he laid bare to me all of my iniquity and showed me all of my wretchedness in full. And as he did this, he brought me through a massive storm with clouds so dark they blotted out the midday sun and lightning that arced from horizon to horizon. But again, by his grace, in that storm, God not only showed me my sins, but also reminded me of what he had done to spare me of those sins. He reminded me of his son's death on the cross and how he has promised that all their faith in, faith in him will be saved. And so with many tears, I begged God for his forgiveness and for deliverance and from, judgment, and from the judgment that I deserved. While I would still be beholden to my sinful habits um, for some time and to some extent still am, um, from that day I was for Christ. I have tragically and with, perfect, with a perfect rate of failure strove to preach the gospel to every friend, partner, and roommate I've had since 2017, regardless of whether I've wanted to or not. And year by year, through the Holy Spirit, my love of Christ has deepened. And through that love, God has shaped my life to look more and more like his sons. Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and knowing him and loving him is the one great joy of my life. So I also wanted to say, um, some of you might be aware that I am uh, one of the elders in training here at Grace. And um, you might be asking, why is an elder in training getting baptized? Probably he should be baptized already. Um, and uh, you would be right. Um, the, the reason is, is because uh, when I came to Christ, as I said in my testimony, because I was in that storm, I had just kind of... I had just kind of assumed because there was just this big storm and all this water that I was going to consider that my baptism. I had been dunked multiple times prior to this, and it meant nothing. And, um, and so I was just kind of disillusioned with the whole thing until the storm happened. Um, but that is not a 
biblical picture of what baptism is, and it was mostly just my own presumption and pride. And so to uh, Jason and Jeff and Joe, um, I'm I'm sorry I let it get this far, and I appreciate uh, you guys letting me rectify this error. So, thank you. All right, so here's what we're going to do. Um, in just a few minutes, out on the front porch, we are going to see uh, why I get baptized. Baptism is an outward sign of inwardly what Christ has already done. We read in the New Testament that we were buried in our sins and trespasses with Christ, but we've been made alive together with him. It's a picture of all of that. It's a picture of Jesus getting baptized. It's a picture of resurrection. It's a picture of the gospel and what Jesus has done to cleanse us. So we want to celebrate that as a church family. Here's how we're going to do it. If you have a kid in the nursery, you're going to head on down, grab your kids in the nursery, join us out on the patio so we can all be there. Uh, If you don't need to grab a kid from the nursery, you can go ahead and just stack your chair Don't feel bad for just stacking one chair. If everyone can stack one chair and meet us outside. And then um, Jeff is going to ask Wyatt uh, three questions uh, about what he believes. And then he's going to baptize him. And as soon as he comes up out of the water, if Jeff is able to get him back up out of the water, we are all going to cheer and celebrate with the angels in all of heaven, the great cloud of witnesses that Jeff reminded us about here tonight.